Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Smells Like Business, a podcast for anyone who wants to learn more about the current and future state of cannabis in Europe. Every episode we talk to different business owners and cannabis specialists, making it easier for you to enter and better understand the cannabis industry. On this episode, we have Joao Mello as our guest. Joao is the CEO and founder of OpenGrow, which is a company dedicated to the research, development, and production of automated growing systems for the agricultural environment. So, if you are growing your own, let's say, herbs, and wanted to automize certain aspects of your growing operation, or even the whole operation, then look no further. These guys have got your back. So, let's begin. Hello, Joao. Thank you for joining us on the show. How are you doing? I'm good, and thank you, Tom, for the invitation. It's our pleasure to be here. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. So maybe you could begin by describing OpenGrow in your own words. Okay, so OpenGrow is a company that is dedicated to the creation of automation solutions for the urban farmer. And when I say urban farmer, we are beyond that. We are actually we are for the farmer, uh, but that's the the main the drive of OpenGrow, creating technologic solutions for uh, the common grower out there. And could you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and what you were doing before you actually started OpenGrow? Okay, so I'm an electronic engineer. Uh, I graduated in a town called Setubal here in Portugal. I had a really fun having my, my degree. <laughs> it was a really nice time of my life. Uh, and so I started to work creating automation machines for the industry. Uh, let's say, for example, you were a Mercedes and you wanted to build a part. And I was in a company that made the machine that would be on the factory doing that. Uh, okay. Later on, I went to some uh, hardware development where I worked for uh, an energy metering company where we build energy meters. Uh, and also, I was a bit responsible on the side of the production line, doing some machines to test the meters. Uh, and there I got a lot of background regarding electronics and hardware development. Okay. Then at the same time, I started with an entrepreneurial project that was a contest here in Portugal that I saw and I find attractive. And I made some kind of idea like a smart pot for you to have in your kitchen with some aromatic herbs. Yep. And we had that project in several contests. We won some awards. And at that moment, I understood a little bit of what was to having a business plan and doing a pitch and knowing how to sell to people and who were you going to sell. All that details that you don't get taught in an engineering school. And with all that together, I got a little bit of, let's say, courage and a bit of investment and find a, a nice idea that was open, grow, grow up and started with it. And I also read somewhere that through these competitions, that actually opened the doors to a trip to the USA to better understand the difference between American and European entrepreneurial ecosystems. That sounds really interesting. How was that? And, and did you learn from that experience? That was an awesome trip. <laughs> and I have to thank the, the European, uh, European Young Innovator Forum because they were the ones that created this opportunity. It was a 10-day trip. We went to Washington and New York on the east side and uh, on California and Silicon Valley on the west side. Okay. And the main thing that I learned there was, how can I say it? Americans have a way to look at problems as business opportunities. Right. And they have a really low level of fearness when trying to, to get into a business. For them, the fear of failing, let's say, 
it's not a big issue when you're trying to open business. The business that you want and the clients that you want, it's the big issue, not whether you are going to fail or not. So that empowers them a bit to make things happen. So they are really not afraid of doing business. In Europe, we have, let's say if you have a company and it goes bankrupt, probably get the stigma that the problem was the, the manager. It's like you don't think of other things. You think of that the problem was the guy that was managing the company that did something wrong. Okay, this is a stereotype. But in the US, if you have three companies that failed, that's revenue. <laughs> and you won't make that same mistake again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you learn from these mistakes. Absolutely. And you can only grow from that. Which actually leads me on to my next question. What made you decide to start your own company? What pushed you to make that first step? For starter, I always wanted to be my my own boss. And that was a thing, even in the university. I, I tried also always to be my own boss at things. And the second one was actually the passion. I started to grow my plants in the end of university. And I realized that the degree I was taking, when I looked at a, a growing room, I would say there are like 10 variables that I can electronically control here. Uh, and they are easy to do. Now I know that they are not that easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you scratch beneath the surface. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, the company Open Grow started in 2014, right? That's exactly. Almost six years. Almost six years. Wow. Yeah, that's a good amount of time. So was it difficult setting up and, and starting the company? That's a good question. It's always difficult, I believe. Uh, I was getting into a business that it's really hard because we started with uh, with our automation system, which is Grow Up. Mm -hmm. So we were building a physical product. We were not as, let's say, 80% of the companies now that are mostly software. So you can just have two or three guys, three computers, and you can start to make a product. Right. When you're doing electronics, you have a lot of materials that you have to buy, to stock, uh, to assemble. Uh, you have to think if you are outsourcing this. And the biggest problem, it's the initial investment because the step from prototype to product, it's a, a time-consuming and really expensive step. Yeah, and we with the few amount of money we had, uh, we tried to bootstrap the company, making the first prototypes that were sold to sold and tested with the first adopters. Let's say like that. Uh, and after a while or some years of, uh, of getting rid of bugs and sensors that were not that good or better approaches to the product, we finally reached a product that we can say that, okay, it's, it's a final product and we can sell it with confidence. Yeah, so you, it took a little bit of tinkering and a bit of time to get what you wanted. Yeah. But of course, setting up a, a company, and especially when you've got a lot of components, there's probably large startup costs, and you've got to find investors, location, employees, and then also customers, suppliers. So the, the list can go on at the beginning, but it seems to be all going well now. So what are the main benefits, in your opinion, of having an automated growing system? Okay, so the first one is efficiency. Uh, you are controlling everything by the second, let's say it like that pH, nutrients, temperature, humidities, exhaust fans. So it should work as best as it can. So for sure, you're saving a lot of money in water and nutrients. That's like the first part of the system. The second one, it's a bit of a mix between safety and ease of, of mind. So if you have an hydroponic system, uh, having a flood, for example, can be a huge problem. And you cannot be 24-7 on site. And so with this system, you can go to sleep and at least it will wake you up with an email on a, or an alarm, uh, but you will know that a problem is happening when it's happening. And if you don't have the problem, you won't get the message. 
Uh, and that's a really good thing. For example, we go to trade shows. We have a system here working at the office. Uh, and when I go to trade shows, usually I tell the clients, look, if I don't have an email, it's because everything is going great. And the third one, it's the integration. You have all the variables in just one system. You don't need to go through several apps to several systems. Uh, with just one software, you get uh, an overview of what's happening in your global. Yeah, great. And then, of course, being able to control it remotely, you know, yeah. so that's, I mean, okay, maybe at the very moment, most people are able to stay at home. But in general, we live in a world where people are usually moving around a lot and, and are all over the place. Yeah, we have a few clients. They say exactly that. Like, I, I work a lot. Uh, I have to travel a lot in my work. And I cannot leave my grow room unattended. So usually when I work, I don't grow. And in this way, I can have the system running while I'm away and check if everything is all right and I can, I can keep on growing. Yeah. So let's actually talk about your system for a little bit. I know it's called GrowLab. So what can you tell us about it? Yes. Right. That is basically an automation system that tries to integrate all the variables of your grow in just one manufacturer. What happens today is that if you want to automate your grow, you have to buy, let's say, from one brand the temperature controller, from another brand the pH controller, and at the end you have five different manufacturers. They don't work together, the systems. You have one app for one, one system or even a button controlled or LCD on another system. And with GrowLab, we tried to create a modular system that each module has the ability to sample a set of variables on your grow and also act on another amount of variables on your grow. Yeah, and of course, I mean, if you want to have an automated system, but you have to, like you said, go to all these different companies and get different bits of machinery or different systems, I can imagine it becomes very overwhelming and a bit of a nightmare, you know. <laughs> yeah, in all aspects, even in the financial side, it's, it's quite, quite complicated. Oh, yeah, I can imagine the prices and the quality of the products can vary quite a lot. But yeah, I know that you've got four main different modules. Maybe you could just briefly talk about them a little bit. I know you've got the Grow Node, I think it's PowerBot, TankBot, and SoilBot. So basically, Grow Node is made uh, or is intended to work as a, let's say, a standalone automation system. So what I mean by this is without anything connected, all the things that you configure to your grow room are inside GrowNode. So you can unplug it from the internet, you can unplug it from your PC and the system will run seamlessly uh, because okay. it doesn't need this kind of connection. Okay. And basically that's why we call him the brain because he not only knows everything about your grow, he's the one that is also controlling all the other modules. So all, all the other modules connect to a grow node. So the second module that we, we sell mostly with GrowNode, it's PowerBot. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a module that comes with a temperature and humidity sensor. It has four outputs, so you can control any device that works like uh, 230 volts, so anything that works like a wall socket. Okay, so like your lights, ventilation system. Lights, water ventilation, pumps. water pumps. Mm -hmm. So with just this module, you can, for example, in one output, be controlling the light. The second output controlling the exhaust fan based on your temperature and humidity. And the third one for an irrigation system water with a water pump, for example. And you get a fourth output, let's say, for an air pump to uh, mix the water or for a fan to move a bit your plants. And that's the other advantage of GrowLab. The, the parameterization of the system is not predefined in any way by us. We give you the tools to automate if you want, for example, to... When the pH sensor gets higher than 7, I want to turn on the fan. 
even this is quite of insane and you don't want to do this, but you can. It sounds like there's quite a lot of customization you can do. Exactly. Yeah, and then of course, you've also got the tank bot and the soil bot. And I would just thought, judging by the name, that the tank bot was probably for hydroponic systems and maybe the soil bot was more for plants in soil, but... Actually not. Yeah, imagine, for example, if you have a drip system in soil, you might have a water tank. So using a tank bot, you can control the pH in the EC and even the nutrient dosing on that tank before feeding it to the soil system. You can do the same on an hydroponic system in the same tank, but instead of being a drip system, it's like a current flow system, a water flow system, and you're yeah. constantly checking the pH and the EC on the water. And if anything goes wrong, let's say the pH gets a bit too high, you can trigger a pump that will dose a bit of acid to lower your pH. And yeah. SoilBot, it's intended to you to measure the soil moisture. So again, it doesn't matter if you are in hydroponics or soil, because even in hydroponics, you can use it on your, let's say, cocoa substrate to check if the substrate is not getting moisture enough. So even if it's a soil bot, you can use it in several ways. Great. So, I mean, it sounds like it's very user-friendly, very easy to use, but it does have quite a few levels of complexity. So you can actually customize to quite a detailed level, right? Yes, exactly. I'm guessing you you guys develop all the software yourselves as well. Yeah, all in-house. Do you build and manufacture and do everything in-house? Yes, yes. We have three rooms, one room for office, a second room for the retail part of our business, which is a small grow shop. We are growing as grow shop also. And we have a third room that it's basically an electronic production facility <laughs> with an okay. oven so you can solder your PCBs with a pick and place machine so you can put all the components in the PCB. So it's basically we can build any kind of electronic. We just choose to build the electronic for plants. I guess that's where all the fun happens. Actually, like... the fun happens at the offices. This is where we do the development. And yes, okay. it's quite fun. You have kind of uh, an electronic uh, <laughs> CEO table and a, a CMO software table. We try to go to all the disciplines. We have a small team. But yeah, we can, so far we've been able to take care of all the aspects of Open Grow. If you don't need to outsource anything, you can take care of everything from A to Z or you have control over all the different aspects of the business. And I can imagine that's also what helps you keeping your prices affordable while still achieving sort of the highest quality. Yes, yes, exactly. Because we can easily change a product. If I was manufacturing in China, I would have to order a lot of units. And I will, if I found a problem or something that I wanted to improve in my product, I would have to basically sell all those units before I can put another version on the, the marketplace. And in this way, I can really fast change something on the product for the next production. Yes, and I can imagine that must have really helped at the beginning when you were still working with a prototype, you know, that you could actually just make these changes yourselves and you didn't have to order parts from far away. I mean, having to make orders, wait for a long time, hope that it arrives the way you want it to, I can imagine that would have just been a complete nightmare. Yes, yes, it is. So how do you guys communicate with your customers, especially if they have a problem with their system, for example? We have a support platform. You just make a ticket there if you have an issue or if you want some assistance. It, it, it may not be an issue. Maybe just something that you want to clear out or, or to check how it works. And usually we, have, we answer quite fast. So yeah, we try to be and we'll be forever if, if we can, and I believe we can, to be a reachable company. If you have a problem or if you want to discuss or if you need some help with something, 
we always try to to help. Well, I mean, you've got open in the name of your company. Exactly. So, uh, <laughs> it'd be weird if you weren't. <laughs> yeah, we try to be the most open we can. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. And is there anything new you're currently working on at OpenGrow? Actually, yes, we have a few things. We are developing a, a new CO2 uh, sensor. Okay. And uh, we have another one or two modules, but these ones are a bit more secretive at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely, of course. We'll just have to uh, wait and see. And wait a bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also we are working on the mobile app. As again, we are open. I don't have any problem saying that. It's something that it's missing. But we just want to grow a little bit more and have a bit of more of, uh, how do you say, uh, people to, to, to reach it. Okay, yeah, got you. But we already have some kind of prototype and we are working on that. But we are not dedicating the, the time we, we wanted to it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, when the customer pool gets large enough, you can probably in invest a bit more time and, and energy and, and money into that. But I, under I can understand how that would be quite a useful tool to have, especially with all this remote controlling. For sure, yeah. So has the company changed a lot since you've started? Yeah, for sure. Two years were purely research and development. So OpenGrow was kind of a laboratory. The next two years, OpenGrow changed a bit from a laboratory to offices, uh, production, uh, and, and a small shop. And uh, nowadays, we have all these three things, offices, shop, and production, but everything is quite enhanced, uh, much more robust, and much more capable to deliver things to clients, whether it is the current Crow Lab, uh, custom modules, or even grow shop equipment like lights and water pumps and and everything you might need to grow your own plants. And how do you go about selling your systems and modules? I know you said you've got a physical shop and you also have an e-shop on your website, but do you also sell to wholesalers? Yes, we, we sell to wholesalers. Actually, we sell to all types of clients. So we sell on our shop directly to the client, to any kind of client, depending on the country it is, because there are some wholesalers that have some kind of exclusivity. So we cannot sell for some countries directly to the final client. Uh, we also sell on our shop, trying to cover the more local people that are in Portugal and near our town of Viseu. But actually, the wholesalers were the first persons we contacted when we pushed Grow Up to the market. It's really hard to get a distribution because the shops need to ask for the product. And if the product is not known, the shops won't ask for it. So the wholesaler does not have interest in selling those products. But you can find some wholesalers that uh, are willing to, to bet on products and to do a bit more work than general. Uh, and so far, we are quite pleased with all the wholesale agreements that we have. We have uh, in Italy, in South Africa, uh, in Czech Republic, and a few more. But yeah, we have good relations with them and they are really good partners. So how did you do that? Was it literally just doing your homework, sitting down, researching different shops and just contacting them directly? Or did you go to trade shows or a bit of both? The first one that you said, it's like the basic uh, commercial connection, trying to find all the distributors, sending emails, trying to get phone calls, stuff like that. When we had the first prototypes and we had something that we can show to the public, we started to go to trade shows. Yeah. Uh, and the first one was in Barcelona. Uh, at Spanabis, I believe it was 2016. And we had a really uh, acceptance from the public there. Everyone was, was mad about Prolab. You know, we had the, the, the boot shop always full of people. I couldn't talk with everyone. It was wow. quite, quite kind of insane. And that was like the big boost for Open Grow to say, okay, let's build this properly, you know. People like it, now let's build it. 
And yeah, mostly trade shows, it's where you get your... Actually, uh, I find your card in a trade show in Czech Republic. I was going to say, I think that's how in Canafest. Yeah, 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 and your marketing was perfect. I was going to the bathroom and I find your card in front of the toilet. You know, it was impossible to miss. <laughs> it's a great story. I was actually, I was planning on bringing it up, but you beat me to it. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to say that these expos and trade shows... I mean, I can imagine they might be a good place to sell some of your products, but it's. I think they're also a very good place, especially for networking or maybe yeah, promoting your mostly company. Mostly than selling the product, they are really yeah. good to find shops that are interested in your product, distributors around the world that can sell your product. Yeah, I'm very happy I left my business card just on the urinal there. <laughs> and sorry if I steal your idea, because probably I'm going to start doing also, okay? Okay, that's all right. I, I haven't patented it. It's not trademarked. So you're free to do what you want with it. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no problem, Joao. No problem. So who are your clients? Um, I know that when you started GrowLab, I think it was intended more for smaller growers, like maybe hobby growers. Is that still the case? Or has it turned out that you sell a lot more now to large scale growers or commercial growers? How can I say? It turns out that the versatility of the automation system is so big that we, we actually go on all verticals of the clients. We have the obvious, we have the professional, we have the greenhouse outdoor, uh, that it's for food production. Uh, we have the container that it's used in hydroponic systems for, uh, for let's say strawberries. uh, We even took uh, the Italian space agency using it on their Mars simulated missions. So they have like a mission that they do on the Oma desert. Uh, They closed themselves there for two months or three, I believe. And they had one of the projects was from, from the Italian university. And they had to grow microgreens to feed the astronauts. Of course, they were not only fed by the microgreens, but the idea was to see if it was viable to do it or if it could help with the food production on Mars. And they used our system to do the control for that. So we have a really wide range of clients. Yeah, it couldn't get any wider, you know, from someone just having a small little home kit to literally working with scientists on space exploration, you know. So it's very versatile and, and very scalable yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. So, and I guess that as a side product, it's more sustainable yes, as well. Yes, exactly. And also you are you are gathering all the information and saving the information for that specific role. So you can go back, look at all, all your data and see what you can improve. That's also actually really good, isn't it? I mean, if you've got data that you can extrapolate useful information from and then take that into your next grow, you can probably point out the areas where, oh, this is where there's a little problem. And yeah, you can really also tinker your own little uh, setup. So yeah, what is actually the current situation and attitude towards cannabis in Portugal? That's a good question, because I have a really personal opinion on that, but I don't know if it's the rest of the country's opinion. <laughs> right. Okay, well, what's your opinion on this on the matter then? So, we have a really good thing, and this is fact, not opinion. We, we did a decriminalization of marijuana a few years ago. And basically what it says is that if you are a consumer, you are not a criminal. At most, you are a person with an NL problem. And so you won't go to jail, you won't get problems with the police, you cannot smoke on the street, but if you get caught, you won't go to jail. For me, that's the first good step a society can have towards marijuana. Yeah, it's a great first step. And it's more—it's not a crime you're committing, it's just more like maybe a health problem you have or something. Yeah, yeah something like that. And then 
there's a lot of, let's say, auto-cultivation, auto-grow, where people grow for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's not also prosecuted by the police or searched by the police. Okay, if you are dealing marijuana, that's a problem. But if you're going for yourself, you cannot also do it. But the law will look at you, okay, this guy is growing from himself, he's, he's an active member of society, he pays taxes, so it's not a problem, okay? Great, yeah. But yeah, the scene is regarding drugs, I believe our society has the, the intelligence to see it mostly as an health issue, not as a criminal issue, and that helps a lot in every way. Yeah, yeah. And it just also, I think, opens the door to legalization, yes, hopefully, yes. you know, so... and. Yeah, and how would you like to see cannabis legislation move forward in Portugal and actually in, in Europe for that matter? I would like it to reach something like alcohol. Okay, you cannot drive drunk, but you can yeah. do it in your home, in recreation, in, with your friends. Uh, uh, you don't need to stigmatize that kind of drug. You have to treat it like, yeah, like alcohol. You have to put a tax on it, make sure that the people that are selling it are selling it with the proper quality. Make sure yeah. that the people that are buying it don't need to go to dark alleys and stuff to get their product and deal with possibly some kind of criminality. Everything would be great, you know. I believe that it's not only legal, it's a cultural thing. What I notice in every country that tries to legalize is that they only go halfway. Yeah. And I think it's always because of some cultural, political, let's say, dispute where there are the guys that want to fully legalize and the guys that think that is the devil and don't, don't want to legalize and they reach a midterm and usually the midterm it's a no-case solution, but it's not the best solution. Yeah. And then, of course, Europe is culturally very diverse, so I can imagine each country is going to approach cannabis legalization in a, in a different way and with their own agenda. So, yeah, of course, it'll be interesting to see how the legalization process develops in Europe and if politicians and governments can actually agree with each other and actually move some positive legislations forward. Yes, exactly. So I've just got a couple questions that I like to ask all my guests. What's the biggest challenge you've had to face so far with Open Grow? And the biggest challenge of Open Grow would be basically building Grow Lab and creating the product, reaching the product phase. I think that was the biggest challenge that I had in my life. A big challenge, but a big reward. Yes, exactly. So where can our listeners find out more about Open Grow? Okay, so you can check our website, which is opengrow.pt. That will show you like the main page of Grow Lab and explaining all of the, about the automation system. Uh, if you search the bit the webpage, you can find our online shop. Uh, you can check us on Instagram, Open Grow and Grow Lab Controllers. We have two accounts. You can check us on Facebook, and you can even call us if you want to talk a bit with us. It's it's okay. Great. So plenty of places to check you out. Well, João, thank you so much for taking the time. I I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here talking with you. Yeah, no worries. The pleasure was all mine. So. That was João Mello from OpenGrow, who I just want to thank again for taking the time to be with us here on the show. If you want to find out more about OpenGrow, make sure to check out their website at www.opengrow.pt. Also, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and check out our website at www.smellslikebusiness.com. I've been your host, Tom. Have a green day, everybody.
like business.